You're listening to the Functional Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Patrick Hester and Tracy Townsend. Welcome back, friends. Please make sure your pod seat and tray table are in their upright and locked position. The airlock is sealed and docking clamps have been released for an on-time departure to the Functional Nerdverse. So, here we are. Round two, recording Saturday. I feel like this is this is a very international episode, although our, our previous guest was a Bostonian joining us from Montreal. We now have a San Franciscan joining us from Scotland. So indeed we do. El Alam, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing, doing well. So you're joining us because you have, well, I mean, let's not bury the lead here. You have many, many books that you've written over the years under, you know, different names and with, with sort of different angles. You are no stranger to science fiction and fantasy, but Dragonfall, the first book in your Dragon Scales trilogy, just dropped relatively recently. And we're here to welcome it and you on. So congratulations. Welcome to the world of epic fantasy. It's big. <laughs> it is indeed. Yeah, it's my return to fantasy. My first trilogy was fantasy, but not quite as epic, more smaller scales. So yeah, it's good to be back. So I have to ask then, having having gone the less epic route and therefore, I don't know, kind of having a, a different set of controls on things like wh- why go big this time? And with dragons too. Oh my God, dragons. Yeah, well, I'd always wanted to write a dragon book because, you know, growing up, if there was a dragon on the cover, it would come back like from the library with me, like instant catnip. But I kept wanting to find my angle on dragons because it felt like, you know, they'd been done in so many ways, so many interesting ways. Um, And my angle was evidently to make them hot. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's not a bad angle, all things considered. I mean, so I basically, yeah, I basically took a paranormal shifter romance and smuggled it into an epic (laughs) fantasy um, to see if I could get away with it. And then also made it weird in lots of other ways. It's like taking the snacks you like into the movie theater and you're just sort of like stuffing them underneath your wallet and things. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, Yeah. that'd be great. (laughs) Except Patrick telling everyone. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, it's fine. I I think, I think people who want this will will want it um so when l was was talking about dragons on the spines of the books and everything you yep you, you, you yeah. pinged over your shoulder there which which dragon is that up on your shelf that is a that's a red dragon uh, uh, I, don't, I don't remember i don't yeah oh, i don't remember if there i don't think there was a name for that dragon it's just a red dragon yeah just the, I, the classic I, iconic you know. yeah i've always wanted uh i, I love miniatures i don't love painting <laughs> so i like i like whenever i could get stuff that's been pre-painted or is or is a different design or something and so when i saw this actually and i know that listeners can't see it but it's a it's a really cool red dragon that i got at mile high con a few years ago mm-hmm. uh, i went through the i went through the dealer's room on the last day which is the best day to go through the dealer's room at any convention because at that mm. point a lot of people don't want to haul shit home and they'll just make <laughs> deals with you to get rid of it Fair. Uh, and I saw and I saw this on one of the tables, and I was like, "Oh, that's really cool!" And so I ended up grabbing that dragon. I, I I do love the idea of dragons, if not you know the the murder, death, kill that they tend to bring to small villages and castles and all that good stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
So, I mean, with given your your track record with with dragons, um, and and you know, also you, you're not a stranger to writing romance either. This it seems very much as if this is sort of your various wheelhouses doing the um, Ao3 trope of, and then make them kiss, and yeah. like we're going to we're going to kind of bring these skill sets and these experiences and these things that you've loved together in one book. What a about dragons makes you come back to them like they were the catnip back then but they're they're clearly still the catnip now yeah i think because they are just the quintessential ultimate fantasy figure you know like if you want to write a fantasy book you can't get more fantasy than dragons in it somewhere Mm -hmm. uh and i've been always interested in how they are approached in fantasy because they are usually like monsters to be slain or they're somehow just fundamentally unknowable um and i hadn't actually read any books that had a dragon as a point of view character so i decided to do that um though my dragons do kind of turn humanoid so the closest that i found was seraphina which has a half human half dragon hybrid um as the protagonist Uh, So, yeah, I just really enjoyed thinking about, you know, they can live a long time, creating a whole dragon society. What would that look like? How would a dragon in human form who's like hiding among humans think of them and observe them? Uh, It turns out he hates them all quite desperately for a while there. Uh, And he's also just not very good at pretending to be human, which was good fun to write as well. So let's what we as always we've gotten ahead of ourselves here because we we see things and we get very excited and we go ooh dragon um, because that's that's what we do on functional nerds but let's walk it back to like the premise like what yeah. are we here for in Dragon what Ball? is the book about yes yeah. uh, so Dragonfall is based on the premise that you know hundreds of years ago we had your traditional dragon rider symbiotic relationship but for reasons unknown and lost to the history of time about 800 years ago uh, humans were not the best and betrayed dragons and stole a bunch of their magic and banished them to a dying world called Virsalin. The years have passed. Humans don't have very long lives. Dragons do. So the humans have forgotten what they've done and they now worship dragons as gods. Uh, But my little tagline that I always use is the dragon gods remember and they do not forgive. Um, So they are trapped in this world that's growing increasingly hostile to dragon life. And there is a young dragon prince named Everin who is foretold to be the savior of his kind. He is the chosen one, supposedly, but so far he sucks at it. He keeps trying to scry into pools and nothing's happening and he's getting increasingly desperate. So the book opens with him breaking into the archives and stealing a prophecy and trying to make it come true. Spoiler alert for the end of the first chapter, it does, and uh, it does what it says on the tin, dragon fall down and go splat in the human world, basically. So he falls between the veil and pretty soon realizes that he's become uh, half bonded to a human. So our other character is Arcady, who's a gender fluid thief who's been locked out of society because their grandfather was uh, supposedly the plague bringer. You can probably imagine that that wasn't a particularly good thing. Uh, But they are convinced that their grandsire did not actually release a plague that nearly killed the planet and is determined to uh, clear their name. So... They end up breaking into their grandsire's tomb and stealing a stone seal from around um, that all humans wear these stone seals around their necks and he's been buried with it. And this is a special seal. So Arcady can unleash a spell and rewrite a new identity to have a new life and, you know, get revenge. Uh, it has the side effect of, yes, drawing through a dragon. Oops. Yep. 
And so they <laughs> reluctantly have to work together. Everyone thinks he can become the proper chosen one. Uh, all he has to do to save his kind is finish the bond with the human, steal the human's magic, open a rip in a veil by killing them. But as you might expect, emotions make that tricky. <laughs> Silly emotions. Fre- yes. Freaking emotions. I know. So, so I, I, I ask because, you know, the, the world of fantasy is full of dragon stories in, in one way or another already. And so I have to imagine that although you didn't find one that sort of hit the same niche that you're occupying here of, of dragon masquerading as human, um, as opposed to kind of navigating that dual life in a more overt way, like in the case of Serafina, um, I mean, kind of interested in like what dragon stories were for you like, oh, yes, this is this is cool and this is inspirational and I kind of want to wink at it in some way here. And what dragon stories were like, no, no, I, I hate that a lot. And I don't I don't want that for me and for what I'm making. Yeah, I can't actually think of any dragon books I actively hated. Um, okay. I think, yeah, Dragon Riders of Pern is probably a huge influence. Um, I put little mini dragons um, like you know, the lizard lanes as well, because I started with Dragon Song, I think it was. Uh, and that was the first dragon book I can remember reading. Uh, and kind of the way that that bond plays between the human and dragon. I think I am sort of maybe critiquing or playing with a little bit because there are like some thorny issues of consent around the dragon human bond um, in that series. And I also really love how the dragons are portrayed in Robin Hobb's Realm of the Elderlings, who's like, you know, my ultimate favorite um, author to the point where I dedicated the book to her and sent her a copy. I sent her a copy and was like, turn the page for a surprise. And then she sent me an email being like, (laughs) I like the surprise. (laughs) So that was really nice. Um, And then, of course, I'm sure I'll think of five others as soon as this podcast is over. But I think those are probably the the rules. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, kind of thinking about um, the dragon thing a little further, like it's a epic fantasy, not your first fantasy rodeo, your first epic fantasy rodeo. Does the dragon, does working with dragons have any kind of, I don't know, stress associated with it for you, especially based on your own love of them from from bygone days. Yeah, I think so. Something yeah. I found interesting is some some readers have been like, I don't know if he sounds dragony enough, and I'm like, <laughs> dragons don't exist. Like spoiler alert. <laughs> he I've established like, this arbitrary rubric of dragon discourse, and yeah, I'm yeah. It just doesn't. So I'm a bit confused by that because I'm like, well, these are dragons who can turn into humanoid shapes, so that's going to affect their dragonness as well i suppose so i had to play around with that um and especially because he really hates humans at the start i had to make sure to not make him kind of too too furious at humans um because i think he'd be fundamentally unlikable if i'd pushed it too much further uh but yeah i think like you want to have the promise of danger you definitely want to have them breathing fire um i played around a lot with kind of merging dragons and angels a little bit like I sometimes oh, jokingly okay. call Evren sexy fallen dragon angel <laughs> um, because yeah he does have wings that he can kind of tuck out of existence when he's in his sort of dragon draconic humanoid form which I call a preterite so he doesn't look entirely human when he's in that form but he can put some extra illusion to uh, appear more human 
Um, so yeah, I think just trying to do justice to them, making sure they're frightening and powerful, but still in this case, empathetic. You got to be careful though with angels. Cause in the, in the back of my head is always the same exact phrase, no matter what, whenever anybody brings up angels, I always think <laughs> be <myself>. not afraid. <laughs> no, I always think angels are dicks. Can be, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, he is a dick for a while in this book, at least, so it's factual. Accurate. Yeah. Yep. Not going to worry about that one too much there. Yeah. So you have some truly kind of awesome maps going on, too. Yeah. Um, and so, as from the perspective of someone who has written fantasy, for which a map exists, but it exists only in my own mind because my books do not have maps. I, I kind of wonder, like, does the map, does the presence of the map in the book, is it there for you? Is it there for the reader? Is it there because give me a map? Like, I, I sort of wonder, like, who 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 the map serves and like what the experience of, of all of crafting the- that was. Yeah, I think all of the above. Like, I remember with my first series, people were like, I really wish I had a map. And I was like, oh, yeah, I wish it had a map, too. Because I think fundamentally, if you grow up wanting to be a fantasy author, you open up, you know, you crack open an amazing new epic fantasy that you're so excited to get into. And the first thing you see is a map. And you're like, yes, I'm going into this other world. Um, And I'll spend ages looking at maps before I even begin the book, just because I really want to, like, get my mind around it and think about where everything is. so I definitely wanted the map for the reader, but also very selfishly for myself, because um, it was just such a bucket list item. Yeah. What was funny, though, is that it turns out I had like parts of the map in my head when I wrote it. And then I asked, hey, can I have a map? Not necessarily expecting them to say yes, because I know that's an extra expense. But when they said they could, I then they were like, all right, send us your map. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> you want to what now? <laughs> I have to finish this. And I had like a weekend. So I knew, you know, kind of where the big cities were and vaguely the shape of it. But I um, downloaded that uh, application or uh, program Incarnate, which is really mm-hmm. good for making maps. So I attempted one. Um, and I had a friend who's a bookseller at the bookstore near me who studied geography. So I was like, do these rivers make sense? And he was like, yeah. kind of. <laughs> and then it went to the cartographer, uh, which is Devin Rue. She does the yeah. maps for Critical Role and Wizards of the Coast and all sorts of stuff. So that was really nice. exciting. And she was like, no, these rivers do not follow the laws of physics whatsoever. There should be some foothills here. Like, this is too straight. And I was like, please fix. Do whatever you like. Um, yeah. So it became a little bit more um, collaborative, which I really Tributaries, enjoyed. just go off. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was, it was really fun. Um, and I ended up doing an event with her um, around launch as well, which was really cool. So, yeah, yeah I'm very excited to have a map. Yeah. Have you two ever seen the, there was a Twitter thread that I saw a couple of years ago and have since bookmarked, but I think me now, my bookmark may be useless because I think the the author of it has left Twitter um, in as its so flaming ruins, <laughs> as so many people have and, and with good reason. Um, but it was a, a, it was from one of the people involved in cartography for uh, Pathfinder. Mm. And this particular map was about how there may be too much there there may be too high we may actually hold fantasy maps to levels of expectation of logic and consistency that are greater than the levels of expectation of logic and consistency that apply in the world and the example he used was new orleans 
Okay. Um, and so he like looked at an actual map of New Orleans and did like, I'm going to do a critique of a map of New Orleans as it actually exists as if it were a draft given to me by someone in my production unit and I'm going to give them critique notes. And it was hilarious. And he was like, <laughs> what is with this bridge? This bridge goes across like, like five miles. Like this is dumb. You would not put a bridge at this point. This is the widest possible point in this area of a bay. You would put it over here at this narrow thing. But of course, you know, it's yeah. New Orleans. It's just actually the way it is. Yeah. And I like, I wouldn't look too closely at the map. Like how, how long is 500 miles on the map? I have no idea. What is the distance between cities? Not a clue. I will figure it out if you yeah. need to go between yeah. places. It's a chapter and a half away. Is yeah. What we've decided. So yeah. yeah. You're always going to have those people and, and it's not just maps. It's, there's, there's oh, always the one thing. There's always the one thing that the person knows. They know oh, it. Yes. They, they must tell you. They know it. And, and you got it wrong. Yeah. Well, and not even that. One time I had a man, unsurprisingly, it was a man who emailed me saying that like the kind of laser gun that we had in Seven Devils seemed unrealistic. And I was like, it has laser bullets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I was basically riffing off, you know, that gun in the fifth element where you can put like it can like. Yeah shoot a specific yeah, yeah, yeah. target so i had like yeah, yeah, yeah. if you put in a bit of dna it will only shoot the person who matches that dna yeah. and he thought this was grossly realistic even though it's set about <laughs> two thousand years in the future and i was just like man <laughs> i have nothing to say to you fella <laughs> the two that always stick out to me is i had i had someone tell me uh that characters in my in my science fiction book that was set a couple hundred years ahead of time uh, couldn't be wearing blue jeans because by then uh, we wouldn't have blue jeans anymore <laughs> as then, if we don't <laughs> love wearing vintage stuff now old navy would beg to differ yeah. and then the other one was in a critique group a guy sat across the table for me and he's like you have these 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 this brother and sister and they're 13 years apart and that's impossible and i said well my brother is 11 years older than i am my half brother is, <laughs> my half sister is twenty six years older than me, and my half brother yeah. is twenty two years older than me. It, it, he was so certain that this could not happen. There's no way this could happen, and I'm like, well, it happens to me. Like my brother is eleven years older than I am, and and, and he went, okay then. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like I blew his mind. He he just I'm, was so certain that it was unrealistic and could never happen. And then I'm like, but here it is. You know, here's my brother and me, and he's just like, oh okay. I'm still waiting for someone to say that it's unrealistic that 99.9% of all my dragons are female and they clone themselves because I <laughs> I like I'm waiting for the day so that I can like respond and be like one they are dragons I repeat they do not exist <laughs> two please google whiptail lizards because they are all genetically female and they clone themselves. And that's where I got the idea. Parthenogenesis is a heck of a yep. thing. But they yeah. still they still will have sex with each other to prepare to clone themselves, which I think is yeah. great. Well it's done. like stretching before you run. You know, yeah. you just want to make sure that you work out all the kinks and stuff. Yep. You want to pull something. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be unfortunate. Oh, my gosh. So I kind of thinking about... Um, the the book and in terms of 
the dragon narrative and the romance narrative that that kind of emerges out of it and the fact that it's the first in a trilogy like taking the moves of a romance and drawing them out so that that relationship can kind of develop and percolate in meaningful ways in not just one book but but across a system of books yep is something I'm too much of a coward to try. So I, I'm kind of interested, especially because you, you also have some experience in writing romance books as well. Like what's the strategy there? Like, how do you, how do you work with that? As a yeah, cause, yeah. Cause most romance books, they tend to be pretty much one and done and you have a lot of interconnected standalones, right? Like Bridgerton, no. you follow a different sibling every time. Um, but for this one, or a lot of the time, epic fantasy will have romance, but it's very much a subplot, whereas in this one, it's really coming to the fore. So I did sort of have to arc it just across three acts, but it'll be across three books. Um, although yesterday, I was like not drafting very well, and in a fit of peak, I was like, maybe I'll just turn this into a duology. I don't know. I don't know <laughs> if I can do three. Um, we'll see. <laughs> um, so yes, I don't have a clear happily ever after at the end of book one because they still have a long ways to go and in particular with book one i really wanted to lean into my favorite romance trope which is slow burn um so this is an incredibly slow burn romance and i also love forced proximity so they have to be around each other because they're half bonded and the rules of the bond are that if one of them gets injured the wound appears on the other person so they're like well I guess I have to make sure you don't get killed so I don't get killed. And they also can't physically touch without the human kind of drawing a bit of magic from the dragon and causing him pain and the risk of like kind of losing his human illusion. So all of that combined made for some really fun dynamics. Um, I didn't realize it was sort of accidentally kinky that Arcady can cause pain with a touch. Like I was halfway through and I was like, oh no, <laughs> oh well, I guess I'll lean into this. Um, so yeah, I had a lot of fun playing with that because you know, if they can't physically touch, you have to really work at them both like revealing their trust and getting to know each other because ultimately the only way they can finish this bond is if they let down their defenses and they both have a lot of defenses. Um, so yes, they're not, they're not in the happiest place at the end of book one, but you know, it's, it's ultimately an epic fantasy romance. So the end of the whole series, I'm sure will be quite happy. Yeah. Relationships are a project. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been fun playing around with it and giving them the space to get to know each other because, you yeah. know, there's always the critique of like insta-love in a lot of stories. And this mm -hmm. is definitely not insta-love. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think of a example of a slow burn relationship narrative, whether it was like the, the top layer of the narrative or like a, like a B or C level plot where when the relationship itself is achieved, I felt like, yeah, yeah, that's actually what I, so I think for me, the trap is there's a slow burn and then the relationship is ahem consummated um, in some way, shape or form. And then I'm like, I thought this is what I wanted and it wasn't really what I wanted. Which like for me is what happens. It's like the Mulder Scully thing. Yeah, I was just gonna say Mulder like Scully. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The, like that was how many seasons? Was it like season yeah. seven or season eight before they finally got together? And then we finally they got, got them there, and we're like, and yes. Like, and we're like, oh, it's less fun yeah. when they're. Um, it's at least it's, better it's, than. 
it's better than bones where like they don't even yeah. get together on screen <laughs> like i was like did i skip an episode what is this six <laughs> years <laughs> so disappointing and now they're just having a baby what the hell yeah that's that's the that's the episode where i gave up i was like no 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 more <laughs> <laughs> with scalder and molly though it was it, it, it was also uh Mulder and scully um yeah uh yeah. It's That's hard to, yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to get to a point where you don't remember like the creepy shit that Mulder did throughout the whole series. Like, he, True. Uh, I don't know. I, I never felt like that was a, that was, I, that was never a good match for me. Possibly not. Yeah. There are just a lot of people who were like, those are two amazingly attractive humans and we want them to smash face was really yeah. what was. I think that that under but character stuff aside, people were like, I, I could really go for seeing David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson. Just like, wow. Yeah. Um, that's really what it was about. Yeah. Nah, I don't know. <laughs> well, it was also about a lot of queer women realizing they were queer by looking at Scully. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Scully yeah. had such an impact just everywhere, really. Yeah. How, you know, how they, they talk about uh, uh, women going into the sciences because of Scully. Like yeah, totally. Becoming doctors and, become, and actually going into uh, law enforcement as well because of Scully. So Scully just had a lot of impacts on people. Yep. Good so... We got away from dragons. (laughs) No, I mean, I mean, I think that that's fine. Like we 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 said before, like we encourage the squirrel. We're gonna sort of go all the different directions here. I I guess this feels to me like so we're we're optimizing our desires here. This feels to me like picks of the week. You ready for picks of the week? Sure. Yeah, let's do it. Picks of the week. All right, so I'll try to set a good example here, although I think I may be failing from the outset because um, I do try to have some consciousness of, of theme going into my picks of the week. This time I just kind of don't. I'm going to have like the lamest possible sell of a connective theme here, and that is um, turtle people. Um, yeah, I, I just want the listeners who can't see the video to know that we went from sort of like profile L looking off into the distance to suddenly turning my direction be like, what? With turtle people. <laughs> like um, the dramatic, dramatic camera. Right. Movie. So yeah. it was Father's Day not too long ago in the US of A. And um, on my husband's list of things that he really wanted, he really wanted to get the digital download on PlayStation of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Shredder's Revenge. Because he just like Right. Like we were playing it last night, all four of us. There must have been a resonance in the universe. We were you were called to it. Um because there's nothing quite like a nostalgia driven side scrolling beat 'em up um to get you and three other people of shall we charitably say wildly variable video game skills. Um on the same couch, yelling at stuff, scrolling around, doing things. Um, and so we had a great time playing it. It's a pretty cheap download, actually, right now. It's on sale, um, or, or at least briefly it's on sale. Um, and I think it may be one of the freebies available to people who have, like, the PlayStation 
it, thing. It's, it's it's free if you're also on Game Pass for Xbox. That's how I play. Yeah, it. yeah. And so it's it's they're doing that kind of thing for it because it came out in 2022, so it's been around just long enough for them to kind of start cycling it as a treat for people um, who are who are kind of paying for memberships and various things. Um, I had a great time with it. You know, it it, it it's designed it with exactly enough nostalgia in mind and also exactly enough kind of little side quests and little little things for you to do to kind of level up your characters and allow you to do different things to satisfy people who are looking for something a little bit more. And so highly recommend um, if you have people in your life who just like knowing that all they have to do is keep pushing the stick to the la- to the right and keep hitting the same buttons over and over again, which, by the way, is me. You really can't go wrong in terms of having a good time with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Shredder's Revenge, um, which is not about dragons, but is about, you know, um, kind of a vaguely aquatic people. I, I will say that I, I unlocked Casey Jones, so now I'm doing a second Oh, okay. I'm doing we didn't get far enough to unlock Casey Jones yet. Yeah, yeah so I got Casey that. Jones, and I'm getting to go back through, so that's always fun. <laughs> See, inter- when Corwin was small, Corwin's my son, um, he the, he was small back when like there wasn't a lot of streaming options, and so most of the, the television we let him watch was actually DVDs that we got from the library. And the local library specialized in like buying seasons of television shows and then renting out the DVDs in, in individual units. Um, and so I just had him watch like a lot of nostalgia cartoons from when I was small. And one of them was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which he never got super into, but he watched some of. We had to kind of explain the whole TMNT thing to Deirdre, my daughter, before we got started because she has no background in it. And we got to trying to explain who Casey Jones is. And I was like, think, um, Discount the Punisher is set loose in a dick sporting goods. And that's more or less what you've got. And she's like, I don't know who the Punisher is. And she's like, I oh, no. mean like Moon Knight? And I'm like, sure. Yeah, because he's a little crazy too. So yeah, we'll go with Moon Knight got lost at Dick's Sporting Goods and decided he's just going to bring justice to the world with a hockey stick. So You, you just remind me of something. I'm sorry. This is where we squirrel. Oh. Yeah. So, uh, okay. I, I clicked on one time on Facebook a uh, one of those uh, comic book panels out of context things where they just show you like one thing out of the comic book. And so mm-hmm. now I get them all the time. And one of the ones I just got was uh, Moon Knight like straddling Spider-Man. He's got him pinned down and he's got one of his moon blade things in Spider-Man's yeah. throat. And he's demanding to know why Spider-Man's spy was in his bathroom. Uh, spying on him and what it was all about, and and he's just basically like, dude, I don't talk to spiders. Like, I have no control over spiders. If there's a spider in your bathroom, it has nothing to do with me. And I just <laughs> thought that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> all right, El, how about you? Do you have um, I don't know, possibly a more seasoned and mature pick than, than mine? I think I'll be uh, on. I think I'll be rather expected and go with a book. So this morning okay. I started A Taste of Gold and Iron by Alexandra Rowland, which is another kind of epic fantasy romance yeah. Um, yeah. with a prince falling for his bodyguard. And I only started it this morning and I'm already like 170 pages in, which is really good for me. Oh, wow. I've been very, yeah. I've been very stop start with reading this year to my mm-hmm. extreme annoyance. Um, but I'm really enjoying it. Very lush world building and much pining. So much pining. 
Nice. Nice. <laughs> How about you, Patrick? Uh, I am going to, uh, I mentioned a few months ago that I had bought a Traeger. Uh, uh, yes. This is a, a smoker. So this is a grill that's also a smoker. And uh, I continue down the the path of learning about that and learning how to use it and do different things. And one of the things that I have recently started playing with is smoked pizza. Mm-hmm. So I am making, uh, I've learned uh, at least the basics of making pizza on a smoker and it's so good and so fun and I highly recommend it. Uh, you can, you can, it's as easy as you can take a pizza stone that like mm-hmm. one of the ones you would put in inside an oven, you can actually put that inside of your smoker. You just preheat your smoker like you would anything else, get it nice and hot and that stone will get hot and you can make your, your pizzas on that stone and, and uh, get that smoke flavor going inside of your pizza as well. And it's just, it's so good. Here's so favorite. Wish, here's where I wish I had a backyard. <laughs> But <laughs> yeah, that's not quite the same deal. So favorite favorite topping array that you've assembled on your smoked pizza so far? Well, I'm a as I think we have established throughout the the many many years of the show. I'm a more of a traditional quote unquote mm-hmm. uh, pizza person. So when I do toppings, it's usually uh, pepperoni, Italian sausage. Uh, onions, bell pepper, mushrooms. I may or may not do some black olives. And I typically do a, a mixture of cheeses. I'll do mozzarella, uh, maybe some jack or cheddar, and then a little bit of Parmesan, like shredded fresh yeah, Parmesan. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Uh, and then I also like to do fresh basil if I have it uh, on there as well. So that's I'm hungry now. It's dinner time in Scotland. <laughs> I'm going to have dinner after this. There is a, we didn't, we don't have a warning on the tin, but we should that a lot of times, more often than not, you will be hungry after doing a show with us. Yeah. We, yeah, we actually have, have been doing a somewhat poor job in comparison to the past of, of really kind of talking food things up. Yeah. Um, well, I, I could like talk about of, how food feeds into my magic system because it's very Okay. Well, so now, now you're just a tease. Let's do it. I, I want to hear about it. Yep. So uh, with, in my world, you have to, like magic uses energy, right? And we all know the cost of magic. Brandon Sanderson has taught us well. And so I was thinking about like elite athletes, right? Like they eat a lot of food. If you're a marathon runner, you're going to eat a lot of food. Yeah, sometimes it's a bit of a like chore to eat. Um, but if you do your magic and you don't eat enough to fuel it properly, then uh, you may become what's called a starveling, which is where you basically turn into a zombie vampire hybrid and would like eat anything. So if there's food in front of you, you'll eat that and be fine, but you're more likely to turn a little bit bloodthirsty. And so you would literally eat your mother (laughs) if if you let it go too far. So everyone's very afraid of using too much magic for obvious reasons. And I also thought it was fun to play around with because it's also a matter of class. Like, can you afford enough food to eat enough, to do enough magic, to be powerful? Um, so I had a lot of fun with playing around with my magic cost. And it also meant that the rich have these really ridiculous, lavish feasts. And I had a lot of fun describing the feasts. Feasts are fun. Nice. Yes. Yep. I, Tracy, there's there's two recipes that I want to play with. Yeah. Um, and I haven't done it yet because they, they, they skew towards baking and baking mm-hmm. is math and math is hard. Uh, but there's two that I, I really do want to try at, at some point. One is a smoked cheesecake. 
Ooh, okay. Good. You could do a smoked cheesecake. And then the other one is uh, essentially smoked baked apples. So you get me on board with that one sooner than the smoked cheesecake. Because um, I think the smoked cheesecake for me is crossing the streams of savory and sweet in a way that I don't. But I could totally see the smoked apples being a thing. I don't. I can't articulate a good reason why why the one is landing with me conceptually better than the other. Well, it's interesting because I've been I've been circling those two recipes in in one of the books that I have, and uh, they they both look very very good. And then just randomly, because Facebook does this shit right, uh, it, it sees that I'm doing something on my Kindle and it decides it's going to send me things. Uh, like someone did a smoked cheesecake, and they said we 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 never thought that a smoked cheesecake would be something that we would you know, consider like anything, but our son did it and it was the best cheesecake we've ever had. So I'm definitely. Interesting. Yeah. Those. Cause maybe it's just on the outside. So you'd only get like a hint of it, but the middle would still be all creamy and sweet. Yeah. Drizzle, I don't know. drizzle some honey on it or something. Could be good. Yeah. I, I know nothing about what to expect here other than, than the words that describe the recipe. So yeah, <laughs> got nothing. I'm, I'm an open book. I'm just, Give me whatever, oh, feed go. me whatever, as it were. <laughs> well, Elle, it's been super awesome talking to you. Congratulations on Dragonfall. Now we got to make sure people know where to find you uh, on the interwebs and your work and all of the stuff so they can give you heaps of money and you can keep writing books where dragons and humans have on again, off again, tense, will they or won't they? Yes. So um, probably my main platform these days is Instagram, which is LR underscore Lam, L-A-M. And it's the same on Twitter. I have joined TikTok, which is underscore LR underscore Lam, but I'm not on it very much. Uh, otherwise, I've got my website at lrlam.co.uk. And yeah, Dragonfall can be found wherever books are sold. The ebook is not, or the audiobook in the U.S. is not out yet. Um with a contractual snag, but that should hopefully be soon. But it's out in hardback and ebook. Um, and Barnes and Nobles are putting it on the table, being like, we have no fourth wing, but here's other dragons. And I'm like, cool, <laughs> at least I'm on the table. <laughs> Although if you read Fourth Wing, which is the big dragon book that came out the same day that everyone's talking about, Dragonfall is very different. So don't go in expecting the same thing. I, I took a radically different approach to dragons, I think. Yeah, ride the wave of that marketing with the caveats yep. intact. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Because I think some people are picking it up expecting like super fast paced fantasy. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's that's not what this is. This is weird. <laughs> and simmer this cauldron here for a minute. Yeah. Weird yeah. and queer and lots of world building because, you know, it has a map. There you go. It has a map. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you very much. All good things. Here we are, at the end again. But there's some stuff you should probably know before you go. First, consider heading over to beyondthetrope.com and checking out their podcast. It's a lot of fun. Giles and Michelle have been around for nearly a decade now, I think, having fun chats with writers, artists, actors, and more. They put out a new episode every Tuesday and have something like 430 overall in the can, I think, as of this recording. It might be 431, I don't know. But that means there's plenty there for you to dive into. Second, if you liked this episode of The Functional Nerds, consider giving us a couple of stars on your favorite podcast platform or posting about 
this episode or any of our episodes on your favorite social media platform. Tell your friends about us. Have them come over. We would really appreciate that part. If you buy a book mentioned on the podcast, let us know on social media. Tag us. Tag the author. That's always so much fun, and it really, really drives home that we help sell books every once in a while. Now, if you really, really, really enjoyed this episode, you could head over to patreon.com slash functionalnerds and give us a couple of bucks. I mean, that helps to keep the lights on. We like that. It's kind of hard to podcast in the dark. You can get access to some cool stuff like a pretty engaged and vibrant super secret Facebook group, a monthly virtual hangout, or even an extra episode. It's called the Just Us episode of the podcast. And it's exclusively at this point for our Patreon backers. So if you just want to hear Tracy and I talk about stuff, that might be where you need to go. Other than that, huh, what do we think about Mando Season 3? Mr. Carpiers, you got it right. How about that? Yeah. You can call me Cannoli Joe. If you've if you've never listened to the podcast, there there's there's two different styles here. There's there's Tracy who does prep work and comes up with some very thoughtful questions, and then oh squirrel. Oh, for God's sake, Patrick Louise. <laughs> Are you okay with me recording you today for the purposes of this podcast? Okay, that's probably a good enough signal. <laughs> when someone comes up to me and says, "Hey, I really love what you do," I'm like. I'm sorry, do you know who I, like, I think you have me confused with someone else. The whiz bang and the gosh wow and the sense of wonder stuff. My favorite thing about time travel is I actually had a time travel joke for you guys, but you didn't like it. I'm so excited.